Welcome to IAAP United in Accessibility, the podcast where we dive deep into the world of inclusion and accessibility. In today's episode, we're honored to have Dr. Chris Law as our guest. Dr. Law is the Executive Director of Standard Accessibility Reporting, SAR, and an accessibility consultant at Accessibility Track. As the president of Accessibility Track Consulting, Dr. Law has played a pivotal role in driving innovation within the accessibility community. Notable initiatives include co-founding the ICD Accessibility Testing Symposium in 2016 and establishing the Digital Accessibility Legal Summit in 2019. Dr. Law's expertise extends to his role as the lead developer and lead author of the National Federation of the Blind's Accessibility Switchboard Information Portal, fostering a community of practice in digital accessibility. Join us as we discuss the significance of accessibility standards, gaining insights into the evolving landscape of digital accessibility and its impact on product inclusivity on the United and Accessibility podcast. Welcome to the IWP United and Accessibility podcast. Today we are joined by Chris Law, the Executive Director of the Standard Accessibility Reporting, otherwise known as SAW. SAW is a member organization which IWP is part of, and it looks at standards around consumer technology, websites, and applications. Welcome, Chris. Thanks very much, Christopher. Thanks for having me. So before we dive into the topic, could you provide our listeners with a brief overview of your role with SAW? and how it aligns with um, your passion of advancing accessibility standards. Thanks. Uh, yeah, well, so my role, uh, like say, executive director, um, I'm really the sort of founder, the cheerleader, the ringleader, the gatherer of the community. This problem has been around for a long time. I, I remember having conversations with folks about this, uh, even in the late 1990s at conferences. We finally decided, let's uh, get together and uh, form an organization. So I'm the uh, I'm the, the leader of it, but uh, I rely on a lot of uh, volunteers and helpers to get uh, the mission done. So how long has the organization been around so far? We, we started officially in uh, 2022. We actually had the first meeting with an idea in 2018, uh, November 2018. And uh, throughout 2019, I started a series of meetings with people in the accessibility testing field to determine whether we needed something like this and um, what sort of form it would take. We were all ready to go at the beginning of 2020. And as you know, the the pandemic got in the way. It didn't seem like the right time to start a uh, uh, fee-paying member organization during the pandemic. Everybody was sort of just trying to survive. So we held off. Yeah, and then in the beginning of 2022, I started reconvening everybody. And our official launch date was uh, July 1, 2022. So we're still pretty young. That's great. So you do the legal summit um, every year. Does this dovetail into any of the work that you're doing there? Did the idea come from the legal summit? Uh, no, the idea uh, the idea actually predated the the legal summit, but um, the ideas do dovetail in, of course, because you have the same issue in the legal field that you have everywhere else is that you don't know how accessible things are, right? So if you take a sort of hypothetical example of uh, uh, a case against a company because they've got an inaccessible website, well, someone's going to say, well, how accessible is it now? And how accessible does it need to be? 
And we don't have any metrics for that. We don't have any scoring system for that. So you're left with just sort of opinions. You might ask three different uh, accessibility testing companies to go review that website. And they'll all come back with different answers and different scoring systems. And so I think in terms of what would be useful in the future in legal cases would be, well, what is the actual score? What is the agreed upon scoring method? What is the actual score for how accessible this website is? So regarding scores, if you could do a bird's eye view, tell somebody an elevated pitch of what it is, what would that be? The bird's eye view, sure. Imagine you're watching a, a football game and nobody figured out the scoring rules. So you don't know who's winning and who's losing. And that's kind of that that analogy is is where the accessibility testing field is today. Nobody knows who's winning and who's losing. Right. So if you don't all come together, soccer and football started a couple of hundred years ago and has evolved into what is called football around the world. There's lots of different variants of, of football. And in each of those variants, the people who played the game and decided on new ways of doing things decided on a set of rules and a rules for how you interact and then rules for how you score things. Um, what we have uh, now is, is we, we sort of have rules for what the, the field of play would look like. So we have WCAG standards that tell you you know, this is what constitutes a good heading. This is what constitutes a good list. This is what constitutes good links and good images in terms of accessibility. But you don't have a, a way to wrap that all up in a way that everybody can agree upon how much better is one website than another website in terms of accessibility. How much better is one product, consumer product, like a microwave oven or a uh, washing machine. How much more accessible is this one than that one? There's there's no way to tell. And so yeah, so in terms of that sort of high level view, that's that's where we are. We're in a we're in a situation where we've got lots of people who are passionate about accessibility, doing a lot of work, and the consumers and the people making purchasing decisions, they don't know who the winners and the losers are. That's basically where we are. I love the analogy of, of football, and I see that you're wearing your UVA. Um, shirt today. I'm a bulldog. I hate to say it, UGA. So um, uh, this is this is by appropriation. My uh, my wife went to uh, UVA. Uh, I went to Wisconsin. So uh, industry partners, how do you get them involved? Uh, I think we tell them what our mission is uh, and invite them to to participate. We started off the the natural place to start off with was accessibility testing companies. You know, so uh, we spent a lot of time talking to people and. Uh, a lot of people that were involved in the discussions in 2019, it was an easy sell for them to say, okay, well, we've talked about this and now we're starting it. Great. Let's, let's get going. Uh, we know that in order to create industry consensus, you know, industry doesn't include just the accessibility testing company. Industry includes manufacturers, disability organizations, industry association groups like IAAP, you know, as, as you've become a member. Uh, we need to gather all of those opinions. So the invitation is out there. Uh, it's it, it involves a lot of sales and marketing, for want of a better term, but it's basically outreach like that. You know, I I came to this as a um, as a accessibility expert in testing, 
uh, and not as a marketing person. And I'm sure you can relate to this, that, that that's the, the technical and professional background that you have. And then you're launched into this position to say, oh, okay, now I need to, now I need to put a marketing hat on and, and try to sell an idea. So that's what we're offering. We're offering people um, a chance to participate and a chance to become prepared for the day when the standards are there. That's really the sort of main key benefit of membership. Yeah, you know, running an association, you're right. You get thrown into it. It's like you're you're playing, you know, every position on the football field, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Man- manager, salesman, uh, marketer, technical support, webmaster. You know, at the beginning, that's that's where I was. Uh, you know, for the first uh, six months or so, as our membership has grown. People are uh, people in the membership are, are stepping forward, and that's great. The membership is stepping forward, so we have, you know, a uh, membership committee. We have a marketing committee. We have uh, a, a board, of course, that is helpful in in um, uh, managing and directing the nonprofit. Yeah, we're we're learning how to coordinate everybody, and you know, maybe maybe one day it becomes uh, something where uh, we have paid positions but we're not there yet you you guys at IAAP you're in that position now but in the first few years you you'd be in the same situation that we were you know it, it obviously you you know it's pat this is a passion for you I and mean, this is something that you want to do especially when you start an association like this you believe in it i mean what would you say the value of a, an industry partner um coming in and being a part of solves well look um there's there's a lot of people uh, that have invested a lot of time and energy in accessibility uh, over the years, right? So so let's talk about the the people in industry who've expended time, money, resources, uh, capital, you know, to in order to further the idea that technologies should be accessible to people with disabilities, right? So there's lots of people like that. Uh, again, going back to the sort of winners and losers. Getting recognition for that, and uh, and then also being in a position to say, look, our products are accessible per an industry consensus standard. There's a huge value to to having that. Without having some sort of standard, we we risk being just marketers ourselves and saying this is the best accessibility. This is the uh, we got the most accessible thing in the world. Well, on what scale? <laughs> Right. Uh, so there's always a question that can come out after that. Uh, it really, in terms of what the membership can give you, is the next step on the path to creating a more accessible world. Right. Jared Smith from WebAIM. You know, we know uh, that WebAIM produced a, um, I think, called the WebAIM Million. This is a survey of the uh, top million websites in the world. I invited him. He spoke as a keynote, one of the keynote speakers at the recent ICT testing symposium that I run. And uh, he talked about that. And the figures from that show that like 97% of the world's websites, top websites, have accessibility flaws, you know, from minor to major, but 90% of them have flaws. 97% of them have flaws. Well, five years ago when he started, 98% of them did. So, so maybe there's been a 1% improvement over five years. To be honest, that's uh, that's appalling. We should all be running around like our hair is on fire, uh, trying to figure out what to do. 
my belief is that that putting a score onto websites and being able to have that as a sort of everybody has agreed upon this score everybody who is a member voted on this score this is an industry consensus standard of the way that you score things having that i think is probably one of the most important steps that we as a field can take so that's why i'm passionate about it and that's why i'm doing it it's great and it's, and it's definitely needed as as you've stated so to drill down a little bit more um, can you share more information about the the recently released um, request for interest or request for information and tell us a little bit about it? Sure thing. Yeah. So we we looked at other models of standards development and I spent time in my past uh, working life. I did some research on accessibility standards um, as a project when I was at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. Uh, in the typical way that you create a, a standard, say, look, there's an issue that we're we're all fed up about and we need to create a standard. Okay, so what you do is you convene a panel of volunteers and then you all sit down in a meeting before before we did online. Right? <laughs> you know, it would always be physical face-to-face. So you, you had to have enough money to go get there, right? So your company that was sponsoring you had to uh, say, look, I'm going to pay for your travel to go to the standard because it's in our best interest. And then you look for volunteers within that space and you say, well, who's going to actually develop the standards? Because the hardest part, the thing that takes the most time in be it writing a book or writing a report or uh, a new task process, the hardest part is doing the actual work, right? The easiest part is doing a review and poking holes in it and saying, okay, well, now I've got something to review. I'll, I'll poke some holes in. And in the standards world, somebody has to volunteer to do that, to do the bulk of the work, maybe one or two people, but it's it's usually a small subset. And the problem that you end up with there is that it's not a volunteer system. It's the company that pays you. That company is volunteering your time because it's in that company's best interest. So we looked at that and we said in our discussions, what would be a better way of doing it? And we came up with a model where we say, look, the membership will dictate what we want the standard to be. And we are going to go fundraise and have somebody then develop the standard with membership oversight, right? So we decide what it is we want. We direct somebody to then go do it, pay them for the hard work of doing it. And then the members get to use the prototypes and try things out ensure that uh, whatever the proposed standard is ends up being something that they can use, that they've tried and they understand and will be practical and will work. So we've got this sort of process laid out. Now, the reason we had an RFI, uh, so we did this request for information, request for uh, interest, was because we've not done this before. Nobody's done this sort of thing before. So we send out a message. We we send it out on IAAP connections. We send it out to our uh, mailing lists and our membership and said, hey, in order to develop this standard, what sort of skills would be involved? What sort of uh, processes would you suggest and methods? How long would it take? And how much would you think it would cost? And so we did that as an exercise last summer, and we've received results back from that. And that gives us an idea. Yes, people are interested. Yes, people have the skills. We've got an idea of how much it'll cost and how long it'll take. And then we can use that figure to create an RFP, Request for Proposals, 
for developing the standards as a as a contracted thing. But more importantly, it gives us a figure uh, to go out and fundraise. And so we were, we're planning to go to the the potential beneficiaries, big businesses that have that are potential big beneficiaries of having such a standard. Remember, we're trying to identify the winners and the losers, right? So those who want to be the winners and want to support that. Uh, we welcome those discussions. We've got a plan. We've got a committee that's working on fundraising. And so we are having that request for information uh, response and having all that data. Uh, we can use that now in order to take it to our next steps. The IAAP Accessible Document Specialist, ADS, credential is intended for accessibility professionals who create and remediate accessible electronic documents and their related policies. The ADS credential represents an ability to express an intermediate level of experience designing, evaluating, and remediating accessible documents. The ADS credential is beneficial for people in or aspiring to be a user experience designer or tester, web content manager and administrators, project, program, and ICT managers, and more. Check out the IAAP ADS certification webpage to learn more. That's great. You know, just circling back around to the, the membership feedback. Um, you and I have had many discussions around membership engagement um, and how important it is within an association. How do you envision that in the life cycle down the road? How do you collect that rich information from your members? Yeah, the feedback. So uh, vitally important. We've we've basically set up a sort of structure. In, in the early days, which is now, the early days are pre-funding, you know, and then we envisage a situation post-funding, but we're we're working in the pre-funding stage pretty much as the same cadence and the same sort of uh, methods that we envisage you know, once we do find funding. We, we've set up like a, there's a, a quarterly update for members. Uh, and then every six weeks, we have like develop, standards development uh, uh, team meetings. You know, in order to generate that RFI, uh, response, you know, that standards development team got together and do that, uh, to do that. Uh, their job right now, the standards development team, they're meeting tomorrow actually, uh, is to now come up with the RFP language uh, that we're going to use. And so we've got these sort of regular uh, meetings and that sort of thing. And then when we uh, have decision points, we send those out to membership and membership gets to vote on them. So we've done that a few times as well. We have the members can get involved in planning. Uh, we have the members vote on the annual plan um, at the beginning of each fiscal year. Uh, we want this to be for the members, by the members. Um, you know, and then so that participation through the process, you know, using prototypes, assessing whether those prototypes work with your current systems, being able to actually talk to the developers and being able to pose questions, but in a structured way. We don't want a situation of having people who are trying to develop standards and contracted to develop standards uh, who think that they have, you know, 40 or 50 bosses because each each member has their opinion. So we we've set up structures to channel and filter relevant questions to the right people in order to to get the answers out to the membership, that sort of thing. So it's a it's a well thought out 
system, I, I believe. Uh, we're st- we still obviously make adjustments to it as we go. Uh, but but really, uh, the, the next step uh, is the most exciting step of, of actually getting down to actually develop these uh, reporting standards. So, you know, I have to ask this question because everyone's talking about it. Um, how do you foresee, I'm sure it's something that's been discussed on your board, and even though you're at the early stages regarding the standards, I mean, how do you see AI incorporating into SAWS uh, specifically around accessibility testing? Yeah, I'd be interested to know the answer myself. <laughs> yeah. To be honest with you, look, obviously the main uh, discussion that's taking up a lot of air in the room uh, in the accessibility field right now is AI, right? A lot of people investing a lot of time and uh, money, resources to try to figure out how this will work for them. I had to make a conscious decision myself to say, do I want to spend my time figuring that out or do I need to spend my time figuring the running of uh, SAR <laughs> uh, to create these standards? And so I chose the the latter because, you know, like I say, this is the most important thing. I think what I'm, I'm doing is uh, more important than what I could be doing with AI because there's plenty of other people who are working in the AI space. There's plenty of other people doing it. Yeah, I don't need to. I don't need to pile on. It'll be interesting. Uh, we've had inquiries from uh, companies that work in the AI space, and we're going to have those discussions for sure. So, it'll be interesting to find out. At the ICT symposium in the fall, we held a session on AI, a workshop session, and you know, to be honest, we came up with more questions than answers. You know, and I think that that's where AI is for a lot of people right now. A lot more questions than answers. So obviously, the the audience for this podcast will be accessibility professionals. How can they engage and get involved with um, SAR? Yeah, we we offer we offer two ways. We offer um, a, a sort of participatory route and a non-participatory route. Uh, the participatory route is paying members, um, and the 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 paying of the the membership gets you involved in the process of developing so it is a participatory thing you get to vote uh you get to you can stand for the board you can stand for elections to the standards development committees and that sort of thing that's the the primary way if you want to participate and use it as a a platform to prepare for the day when those standards uh, get developed we are trying to think in terms of year to two year timeframes of developing the standards. We're not talking five to 10 years to develop these standards. We think it's much more urgent. So we need to get that in there. The benefit of being a paid member is that you do get access to the information as it's being created. The non-participatory route, we, we have a professional mailing list that's open to people who work in the accessibility testing fields. Uh, that's free. Um, and we send updates every now and then as to uh, what we are doing and um, the decisions that we, we are making. But it doesn't provide you access to prototypes. It doesn't provide you access to anything uh, beyond that. So, And it's a sort of a wait-and-see approach. You know, some people are taking a wait-and-see approach. That's that's fine, but um, you know, the the longer that you wait, the less chance you have to influence what the outcome of the standards are. So that's okay. And then, if anybody wants to wait until the standards are published and then start their catch up, fine. That, that's okay. I mean, my my anticipation, look, 
uh, you know, the, the, the model that we might draw from is um, ITI and the VPAT, right? The V was that stood for voluntary, voluntary product accessibility template, but it pretty soon became not voluntary. The government just said, look, if you, if you want to tell us how accessible your thing is, fill in a VPAT. We need it, right? So it became not some maybe a small V. Now it's called Accessibility Conformance Report or ACR and things like that. But the first time, th this is what happens to companies now, right? The, the first time that they they hear uh, the, the term VPAT, they're shocked. Oh, wait, we've got to describe how accessible this is. They go looking for support. And they're going to play catch up and they're going to pay the going rate for the accessibility expertise that's going to help them fill in this VPAT, this thing that they've never seen before because they're not prepared. Right. And over time, they become more prepared. So it might be the same sort of thing is like, uh, wait and see. Uh, and then once we do develop this standardized scoring system, it's like, oh, oh right. How do I, how do I use my current? system and i use percentages and this thing uses something else how how do i change this to that and and the time and all the time you're doing this you're losing sales you're losing uh you know market share whatever it is sure wait and see it's, it's always an option okay but we'd rather we, we'd much rather people participated and we, we welcome everybody uh we we're Conducting outreach, uh, you know, this this podcast is part of our outreach, you know, and it's uh, uh, it's good to do that sort of thing. Um, we're we're very excited to turn the the outreach into actual uh, standards development, though. That's a that's our key thing. So the the, the key takeaway from that is get involved now before yeah. the standards are fully created. Yeah. Exactly. Look, and we because we we decided that the model of operation would be contracted developed standards, and because we knew that we would have to go get big funding in order to cover that, we decided that the barrier to entry for accessibility testing companies, accessibility professionals, should be very very low. So you know, it's a a two hundred dollar for a year for an individual. Uh, and it's four hundred dollars a year for a company, and that's exceedingly low to be a participant in something like this. I think if you think about the the costs involved with traditional standards methods and those in quotes volunteer methods, uh, in terms of that that cost difference, it's huge. I've heard of a lot of companies that uh, they can't afford to join certain standards initiatives that have been uh, about the development of, you know, the individual elements, the headings, the lists, and that sort of thing. How do I standardize the measurement of those things? For, for us, we think it's very uh, low barrier of entry. Uh, and the more the merrier, basically, in, in terms of getting those opinions, uh, members to try things out and make sure that what we're proposing works for them. Yeah, I love just going back to the beginning of this conversation. I love the idea of how you're going to come up with these standards. I mean, the process that that you're going to undertake by pulling, you know, subject matter experts together and and getting them in the same room to get those standards going. To be a part of that, and even just even if you're not engaged fully, but just be listening to how the standards are being developed is an amazing process. And we've seen it with our certifications with the IWAP. It's relatively the same process. And it's phenomenal. You learn a lot and you hear, you hear about different opinions. And it's quite an exciting time for you right now. I'm, I'm real excited to see how this this rolls off over the next year or so. So I need to do yeah. a flashback. 
Okay. So your doctoral thesis, you focused on on accessibility and the needs of customers and, and customers and with people with disabilities and businesses. Do you see the, the the findings of your thesis in any things that are still going on right now? I mean, it's based on the, resu- the results that you had back in 2010, I believe it was. My PhD thesis, my my work was uh, to try to find out what the people in organizations were doing when accessibility issues arose, right? There were various attempts to understand, preceding what I did, there were various attempts to to try to find out why universal design was not taking hold, right? There was a lot of people in academia talking about universal design, not a lot of people in business doing universal design. So my my thought was, you know, I did it in a, a school of business in Australia, and uh, I I decided let's just go and talk to people in in position various positions throughout companies and try to understand what they do, right? And you know the the conclusion that I had was the lack of accessibility uh, on the one hand, or the finding good accessibility on the other hand is a result of people and decisions it's not as a it's not a technological problem the technological problems that plagued uh, the accessibility of websites largely been resolved right long time ago largely been resolved and now more and more i see more and more people doing this now is is looking at the organization as a whole right how do you get accessibility to stick uh, across the the technological life cycle how do you find how do you overcome resistance of people who who are incorrectly perceiving this as an extra part of work that you're burdening them with when they never had to deal with these people with disabilities before right that sort of protest that we we're all used to hearing people need techniques to get past those and so that's really what the the phd research was about and i th- i would say i mentioned before that in the late 1990s we started discussing the idea of scoring websites for accessibility right and it never went anywhere and it's probably i can't say for sure but it's probably down to people and resistance the people that didn't want to have it happen. So, you know, ITI, God love them, they they created the VPAT, but the VPAT doesn't give you an overall score, right? And despite numerous people throughout the early 2000s that were clamoring for a score, never happened. So people were making decisions to say, this is not something that we want. So think about it from the point of view of a company there are companies out there uh, that we know of that really don't take accessibility seriously, right? They might say that they do inclusion, but they don't really do disability inclusion, right? And so that means that we have, uh, you know, washing machines that are not accessible, and uh, we have websites that are not accessible, right? The, the ninety-seven percent of websites not accessible. If you are uh, one of those folks that runs that sort of company where you haven't taken accessibility seriously, you're going to be opposed to that sort of standard, right? Whenever somebody creates a standard, the people that don't follow that standard are the ones who are the most vocal critics. Oh, always happens. You know, just look up any story on a new standard. Somebody has something bad to say about it because it doesn't fit in with their model. And in terms of identifying winners and losers, 
this gives us a way to identify the losers. Well, who would be the most worried about such a new standard? It'd be those that are not creating accessible technologies. Okay, we just need to figure out who those folks are and be able to stick a label on it. <laughs> you know, literally stick a label on it to say, this is how this thing scores. This is how their comp competitors are scoring. You as a consumer or as the purchasing agent, you get to decide. If you end up having standard put into place and somebody who's in a purchasing position in, a, in the government, for example, has five VPATs in front of them and those VPATs have a standardized score on a label on the front cover, then you'll get into a situation where they can say, oh, this one is highly rated, this one is medium rated, and these two are low rated. And without having this scoring system in place, um, what do we look like? And so uh, we, we need to change our, um, our situation for the good of our own field. You know, this is, uh, this is why I reached out to you personally, Christopher, to, to talk about uh, IAAP and uh, SAR and becoming members of each other's organization. Uh, it's precisely because of this. Our field needs to become much more legitimized than it is. Uh, you, you make such a good point. And there's so much that's kind of floating around my mind about that. I mean, think about just IWP and the accessibility profession as a whole and how new it is. When we kicked off, right, um, 2014, but, you know, we really kicked off our first certification in 2016, you do need that foundation of standards and and so that all accessibility professional members can tie onto that and, and promote that i mean you think about just the importance of having documents that are there that people can draw on so so the last question this has been fascinating i'm so so glad you joined us today in regards to just the future of accessibility reporting what are some of the bullet points that you would bring to our audience right now what are your thoughts where's it going I see the day where uh, you know finding out how accessible something is is as easy as finding out how many calories are in this uh, this packet of cereal versus the next packet of cereal. You know, I, I make a choice between one and the other, and you know, for consumer technology products, uh, washing machines, microwave ovens, home thermostats, we know that there's accessibility issues with those. Many of them are just completely inoperable by people who are blind and people with physical disabilities. So the day when we have those standard reporting metrics, you know, that's going to completely change the way consumer products work because people like to have good scores. You know, manufacturers, they like to have good scores and consumers like to have that information. So the reviews uh, and the and that sort of information will drive this. So I see the future of accessibility reporting is one where people know on an agreed upon scale how accessible things are and that they can put a pin in something that's not accessible, something that's that's got a low score and say, this isn't good enough for us. We need it to be at this minimum score. I see that completely changing the landscape. So I think that, um, you know, in in terms of the future for accessibility reporting, that's why I said I think this is the most important thing that we can all be doing right now. Chris, I just want to just thank you for taking the time today to speak to our members out there. We are behind SAR and we'll work with you to continue the great work that you're doing. Thank you so much. 
Much appreciated. Thank you very much. Uh, it's a, a great collaboration to have. Uh, and uh, we look forward to working together uh, with you as strategic partners in our uh, membership. If your members have uh, uh, questions and want to find out more, uh, just go to standardari.org uh, and there's a contact us uh, uh, page and get in touch. And we're happy to continue the conversation. Thank you very much, Christopher. Thank you. The International Association of Accessibility Professionals offers a variety of membership options for individuals and organizations. Whether you are an expert in accessibility or just starting your journey, join the only Global Accessibility Professional Association promoting and improving digital accessibility and physical environments. IAAP advocates for the inclusive design and creation of accessible products, content, services, and spaces to ensure no one is left behind due to a physical, sensory, cognitive, health, or psychological-related impairment. United in Accessibility, join IAAP and become a part of the global accessibility movement.